strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdell, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another edition of Bootstrap in the Trenches. Today's episode is called Act with Conviction. We will be diving into Donald Trump's art of the deal later on and diving into exactly how that revolves around our business to preface that. But first, as we always do, food business and all. We have to dive into Sunday night food comas and what's on the agenda for tonight's dinner. Corey, let's start with you. Um, tonight's a good question. I haven't got food on the agenda yet. Just been busy day. But yesterday, uh, we had a huge Easter feast. Sarah cooked up. We had steak. We had uh, chicken sausages. We had uh, deviled eggs, asparagus, everything. Shrimp cocktail. It was just uh, a feast all day. Some wine. And it was good times. Then uh, ended it with some chocolate brownies again. So then starting to become routine for me which is a problem i mean corey you had to put on that post-corona weight so at the end of the yeah. day i don't think there's a problem at all yeah i guess i'm just evening myself out pull out a sweet tooth dan but was there any Cadbury <laughs> eggs involved because i whenever i think of easter i remember growing up being annoyed i was jewish just because of that alone missing out I, on those chocolate eggs i did i got sarah a bunch of chocolate um the, you know what it's the one chocolate egg that i actually got her it got lost. I don't know what happened to it, but I got her a bunch of other stuff. Did she but eat it? I, yeah, definitely. Nah. She did. And then, um, but I do love those eggs also. They're the best. They are. They really are. I remember one of my fondest grocery store memories as a kid was getting one of those at checkout with mom. Yeah. And I, I think that was one of the few times she ever, you know, our, our mom, Corey, Dan, and my mother, Kathy, would run this snack attack program in our elementary school and she pretended like she was this health nut to kind of play the card, even though she wasn't looking back that much. So we used to kind of get screwed in having to eat really healthy and we'd go to the store and it would just be a constant tease. Cause I'd see a candy bar. Oh honey, why don't you get this organic raisin? <laughs> it's like, you seven. that's why. It sounds like she was really ahead of her time with the whole yeah. organic. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. She was ahead of her time, and I don't think it's still ahead of the time. I think most people like the thought of eating like that and don't. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong on that notion. But uh, what, what's going on tonight for food? You know, I'm not sure yet. I'm definitely going to – it's going to be a delivery night for myself. But this um, weather out there going to be great. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some Chinese takeout, Chinese delivery. Have you seen winds like this ever in New York? Not since, because uh, uh, I mean, everyone's saying like since Hurricane Sandy, but we were in Denver, Denver for that. I haven't seen it like that. It's been pretty nuts. Yeah. Uh, Dan, it's almost like the tornado in Charleston made its way up here. Well, I, th I was going to say, I think that actually is why it's really windy, because the tornado, from what I saw on Twitter, made its way north, whether it was the same one or not, because one of the dudes that I follow who's at Pinehurst right now claimed that it like wrecked through Pinehurst. Coming up by like five hours north of where I am, and 
I don't want to say destroyed Penhurst, but it was like knocking over trees. It was a whole scene. And yeah, it was crazy. This morning I woke up and it was so dark out. And it was, you know, 7 a.m. and the sun is always usually rising and everything like that. And the cat, Miles was just chilling, but the cat was like, stand, you could tell it just freaked out. And it was standing at the sliding door, kind of just watching the weather. But then Danny, who does the news reporting, she had to leave to go follow this tornado around. And the cat, for the first time ever, was like, you could tell freaked out she was leaving, like waiting at the door, meowing, making all kinds of noise. It was insane, like seeing the instincts of that animal really kick in when the tornado was within miles of here. And as it developed, they kept giving warnings to literally the parts that were, I'm talking, the tornado was almost right across the highway from where I live. And had it come on this side of the highway, I'm in this place called West Ashley, it was touching down in John's Island, which is like, you know, where we go to pick up food every day. It was crazy. Damn. And that's when you know you're in deep shit when a cat who I always think of cats as wild animals that are somehow domesticated. But when they're freaking out, you have a serious problem because they're the coolest customers around. So, yes. You know. So I started to look up online. Like when I saw the tornado warnings, I was like, I looked up, what do you do? when there's a tornado coming and you're on the third floor of an apartment complex. And all I kept reading was if there's an apartment complex with three different floors and there's a tornado, the third floor is getting wiped out. <laughs> like it's just going to be gone. So at first I was like, Oh, I'll just go in the closet and it'll be fine. And then I'm reading, no, you better make friends with the people that live below you and get to the first floor, get inside, not be around windows. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, what am I going to do here? What am I going to go knock on someone's door, like, during the coronavirus? Like, hey, can I go? Yeah, can I come stay with you? And they'd be, you know what I mean? And they'd be like, uh, just put them in that weird situation where they got to let a stranger in when they've been social distancing. It, it was it was weird. That's and, a neighborly thing to think about because we never would have thought about that growing up. But now it's almost like you have to be neighborly just in case of a tornado coming down the road where it's like, Hey, got some sugar for you. Uh, I might be touching base in a couple weeks if shit hits the fan weather-wise. You know, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Especially What's now. What's crazy? I mean, it's just the worst time for a tornado or any natural disaster to hit while coronavirus is going on. Corona, cyclones. I mean, Dan's seeing it all down there. It's crazy. What's crazy is right after the tornado hoopla was over, which was like 9 a.m., just it turned into the nicest, clearest blue skies day ever, like Absolutely. overnight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was what like now it's like eighty degrees and sunny and hot out, and there's not a cloud in the sky. It's crazy how quickly that happens. That's that's the world for you though. It's that type of you know, down up up down. That's the game. That is the game. And then what? Last wise, what'd you do? Last night was a piss poor experience for me food wise. So there's this drive through place that's one of those places that almost looks like a Stewart's root beer that, you know, milkshakes, ice cream, burgers, everything. And I've been meaning to try it. I was like, this place, every time I drive past it, it's got a line just wrapped around the block. It looks like the real deal. So last night I'm looking through the delivery options and I'm like, oh, let me try this place. I start adding things to my cart. And then I kind of have a change of heart and I decide that I want Thai instead. So I go through and I order Thai and 
then for whatever reason, the other food shows up and I was like, I, I see, because they come to the door, I got a milkshake, and I saw, like, the, the shake was next to it. And I was like, wait, why, why did I get this place? I thought I switched to Thai. So I was like, okay, let's see what it's all about. I take it out. The food was so gross, like, not even edible. I didn't even try eating it. It looked disgusting. Like, when you have, like, Asian food at the word, they just shouldn't even be serving it, where it's like, yo, dude, what is, this is not Thai. Like, that's, the worst. that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I hate that. Yeah, but the show, just just to clarify, I didn't get the Thai food. I wanted to switch to the Thai place, which I've gotten several times and I enjoy. But for whatever reason, I thought that I had gotten a new cart set up with Thai food. And when I clicked submit, it was my original order. I don't even know what happened. Uber Eats has been fucking up a lot lately, and that's who I use out here. But anyway, the food came. It was gross. So then right after, I ordered, like, hibachi from this Japanese place. And it was, like, the I, I would it a d plus it was just like plain generic like tasteless it was a terrible night of food to be honest i mean they charleston and chinese food I, I just can't imagine asian cuisine in charleston being like peanut butter <laughs> jelly. you know what i mean the, no 100 the problem with charleston is really like it's a great food scene but the restaurants here are places that you're supposed to go to you know like places that are oysters and seafood and lobster and like all that kind of stuff and I feel like it lacks the, the to-go scene and, like, you know, good pizza and things like that. But what are it's they fun. doing that down there? Like, are they are you seeing some of these lobster places turn into, like, to-go chop shops? What's been going on with that? Because that's interesting. Yeah, so there are some, like, high-end seafood-type places that are available for takeout and delivery. I think a lot of them, though, have probably closed. The places out here... That's tough to place- get delivery of that kind of food, right? It's not takeout delivery food. Dude, Danny keeps saying, like, oh, can we go get oysters and pick them up and bring them home? And I'm like, no, we can't. That's, like, oh, just man. sloppy. Like, oysters need to be served chill on ice. Food like, on platter right there. Yeah, so we have never get oysters delivered unless you're looking for a, you know, a nice party with the toilet for a week. Oh, I wouldn't even try. But I will say they have really, really good barbecue food out here. And those places from what I, I've been randomly getting pick up, and I'll go inside with a mask and just be like, hey. Are you guys like? Are you guys holding up well through this? And like, a couple of them are like, kind of like giggle, and they're like, "We're killing it right now." And you know, I, people are getting takeout. You see the cars wrapped around the blocks. Oh yeah, and yeah, I mean, taking like business away probably from a lot of those lobster and oyster spots too. When you think of these high ticket items, these people have to still eat. Where are they going? Barbecue. Well, yeah. Definitely. That's, uh, it's interesting. Cause I kind of wonder like a place like Charleston, it's such a tourist destination. And when you think about downtown Charleston and these higher end restaurants that cater to people on their bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, like groups of friends who come down here on golf trips, it's a, it's a huge tourist destination. And if you remove that element from it, you know, 50% of those restaurants are not going to survive. So it'll be interesting to see when the dust settles, you know, how it all, how it all emerges. But uh, tonight, Danny's making food. It smells awesome. The thing that sucks is Danny kind of goes to bed earlier. So every Monday during this podcast, she's cooking. It'll be done probably in three minutes. And then I won't eat it for like an hour. And I'll just like microwave the food. I mean, Dan, why don't you just eat live? You guys want me to you eat live? Just eat while well, I'm here. Right, well, why I'm not? I mean, well, I wouldn't want to be waiting an hour to eat that. No, yeah. you're right. <laughs> don't you think that's the You're in a food podcast. Yeah, it's pretty fitting. Yeah, man. What are you eating tonight? What are you thinking? I don't know. Sarah, what are we eating tonight? Can Sarah make me something too? <laughs> yes, I will send it over to you. 
I think I don't know. I'm, I'm probably gonna order. She's making sweet potatoes right now. She's on a little sweet potato kick. Those are good. It's not pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. But, I, um, I don't know what I'm doing. I did uh, last night, Corey. Let's see. I ended up going Chinese delivery. Did kung pao chicken. I've been going hard in the paint on dumplings since I've been here. I've had yeah. dumplings now four days in a row. I have to say. You're right in the heart of the best Chinese and the best pizza. I am. And, you know, I'm proud of myself. I haven't gone too hard on the pizza. I think mostly because of this lockdown. I always have this fear of putting on a belly. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> maintaining. And yesterday, I went up to meet this girl, Kaylee, that I've gotten cool with for this volunteering. I walked all the way up to the Upper East Side just because I was like, I need some damn ex exercise. The here. Upper East Side? Yeah, Corey, I walked from Soho to the Upper East Side and back. So that was a, a good Mikey Rolls. That was my first Mikey Rolls city walk in a, in a while. So, so yeah, that, you, met, you like went and met up with her? I did. We met up on her stoop and just kicked it, had some champagne, cheered on the workers. You know, they do this thing at 7 p.m. in New York where everyone goes yeah. outside and cheers the hospital workers. Yeah, it was really cool being in that neighborhood because it's not really like that. Like, Corey, you know, Soho – it's a different feel than like that area. So it was cool just looking up and seeing everyone like putting banging pans and cheering, having like signs like we were at a game. But That's yeah, I worked an appetite. I ended up getting the Chinese, two orders of dumplings, Kung Pao chicken, white rice. Then I ended up getting pancakes and oatmeal to really seal the Sunday night food coma. And I was still starving because I burned a lot of calories yesterday. Yeah, man, that's uh, got to be like three or four miles one way. Oh, yeah. It was like four and a half each way, and I had already run steps that morning. So yesterday was a great day for that. And today, you know, I don't know what I'm doing tonight for dinner. I've been back in my intermittent fasting game where I only eat during those small windows. And I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of toying with the notion of pizza maybe, but I might get healthier. I'm not really sure. I'm getting sick of Roundup here. Most of these restaurants aren't open. So the yeah, dumplings not the best options. on your Instagram yesterday looked absolutely insane. Yeah, they were phenomenal. And they were all they were all vegetable dumplings too. They were like healthy dumplings. That's what's good about a lot of these places. They're gourmet dumplings where you don't feel like you're eating shit on a stick. Where it's yeah. actually like, oh I don't I don't my stomach doesn't hurt after eating this. So pinch I give a lot of credit to. They make high end gourmet dumplings. But Dan, you'd love this place. Yeah, I'm pumped to visit you guys in New York when the dust settles here. Uh, yeah, I'm pumped to get an apartment for you to visit. I'm uh, Corey, I'm finally starting. I was telling Dan earlier, this girl that's in real estate has been helping me apartment hunt virtually. I'm finally mm -hmm. getting to that wit's end with the Airbnb thing where, you know, Paul's been gracious. I'm staying in his apartment when my Airbnb is up. I'm just paying him 50 bucks a night to stay in the apartment because I got to give him something. But yeah. The reality is, at some point soon, it's time for me to be an adult and domesticate myself to an extent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so Might as well. Airbnb had to take out a billion dollar loan at eleven percent interest rate. That's fucking. Yeah. Who's giving them now? Not even loan. It was it was private. They got it from private investors, but hmm. it's just there was. I saw some dude that basically tweeted the terms and conditions that they got on their loan versus Salesforce, which is a public company and Salesforce, no Salesforce got a bill or no Salesforce got 750 mil at a 0.5% interest rate. And then Airbnb had to take out a bill at an 11% interest rate. It was like, I was like, Jesus, that's just 
murder That's brutal. Or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. they were like, you know, I'm going with our IPO. How things have changed overnight for Airbnb. They're just in hot waters right now. Not only Airbnb, I think you're you could say that for a lot of companies, even Uber. When you think about it, their business has completely been kind of on hold because even their scooters, the ride share, even Uber, I know Uber Eats delivery is more popular than ever, but let's be real, their bread and butter in that ride share foundation, people aren't taking Ubers right now. So how long can that stand for? It's like, yeah, you can keep borrowing money, but where's it going? Like to me, they, that's something that's going to, that model has to become automated with self-driving for them to actually be a business much longer. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I saw on Twitter that 70% of their sales got wiped out from this, which wow. is insane. Yeah, you know, you have to wonder, that makes sense. How, how long does it take people to get back to like actually being comfortable getting an Uber? So I'll so, never do, I don't think I'll ever do like a Uber pool or a, a Via for a long time. Sorry, Uber pool is probably going extinct from this. Like when you yeah, really, down, oh, yeah, I know we're obviously different culturally than China, but I saw that the car sales have been spiking in China a lot because people just don't want to take public transportation because they just don't think it's safe due to everything going on. And, you know, this just really brought light to what's always been going on. It's not like this is now a new thing, but people are probably just realizing how easy it is to spread sicknesses, spread germs. It was, uh, what's his face? Joey Diaz. <laughs> he was... I was listening to him like a week ago and he was talking about how even before this, like an Uber would pull up and he'd open the door and the guy would be like, what's up, man? You getting in? And he'd be like, yeah, just give it a minute, airing it out from the guy. Before. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> somehow, like sit there, open the door and just like kind of let the air just funnel its way out before he gets in and then like spray the different handles and like wash the car off. And I was just like, damn, that's just something that, you know, like, who's going to want to get in an Uber with, like, just a guy who's had, like, 80 people in his Uber over the last week? It's just touching everything. Oh, and so hard now, you know, who knows? Yeah. I also read now that it's, like, the disease can stay in the air for thir- – or uh, at a distance of 13 feet, so not six feet. So now it's, like – Soon it's going to be a football field. I mean, see, I hear – I heard that, too, Corey, and I now – even, like, mom brought up last week when I was doing the hospital drop – keep your shoes outside the apartment. It could be on your yeah. shoes. At this point, it's like, it's what everywhere. Is heading? it seems like it's getting worse with the whole fear factor of like, oh, six feet, 13 feet. We're not able to move or breathe anymore at some point here. That's what's crazy. Even the data, when you look at it, it's kind of skewed because they've stopped admitting a lot of people to hospitals unless they're dying. So, so yeah, like it makes you wonder, like, is this thing even... Has it peaked? Yeah, it's like they're saying, oh, like all the ventilators are freed up in all these hospitals. It's like, yeah, because these people are dying. Yeah, <laughs> they're all, they're they're all and dead. They're people that are sick unless they're dying sick. So that that's kind of a weird breakdown when you think about it, this whole ventilator talk. Because it's yeah. And now New York City is out of space to, to bury people. They're like going to, I think, use one of these uh, army parks in jersey or or some other part suburb of new york to start burying people but like the actual city it's completely filled so fuck yeah it's uh we got some rough times ahead clearly for a while 
It's yeah. just the reality of it. I, I thought at first this was going to be a couple of weeks, and now it's like, oh, maybe Memorial Day? I don't even know. I know. Yeah, the thing that's funny is, like, Trump thinks he has any true say in when the economy reopens. I know. Well, he's so used to saying things and being able to kind of finagle, even in order to deal. It's like he says something and just assumes his conviction is going to make it happen, which we'll get into that in a bit. But I thought that I think it's fascinating when you think of someone with that mentality. And this is one thing Trump can't do that way. <laughs> and his whole life, he's never run into an invisible threat. When he, It's always been something he can physically deal with. And this has been the only time, and you could tell, it's like kind of driving him mad where it's like, what, what is, what's going on here? Like this guy yeah. from talking back. Yeah. But yeah. I have to say, it was amazing reading that book with everything going on right now. Right. Yeah, I think it would have been equally amazing reading that book without this going on and just like at, with him as president and then reading the book that's an older book talking about how he deals with things in the business world. It, I, first off, it was impossible to not read that whole book, like imagining him talking. Oh, every time. Oh, yeah. in the background. Like Trump is an entertainer. I got to give it. He is one of the few people on the planet that I am naturally entertained by. Like, yeah. I, like I see him talk and I crack up. I'm like, oh, this yeah. made my day. Like I'm happier now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know there's a lot of haters out there that think the exact opposite when they see Trump on a podium, but you got to give it to the guy his whole life. He's been that entertainer and has been talked about because of it. Well, also you got to give it to him where, especially in that book, he almost like, and I don't want to say admits, but yeah, he, I don't want to use the word admits, but the things that people hate on Trump for, he almost boasts about in that book. Like the fact that he does, he doesn't really necessarily take advice from experts or hire people for studies. He goes by what's in his gut and what's in his head. And yeah. he even says, like, yeah, you know, I like to be positive and I have a big imagination. So, like, all the things that people just, it drives them crazy. Here he is in that book, talking it up in a way like that's why I am the man I am today. And obviously, again, he wrote that book before he was president or before he knew that he was president. But when you kind of think about the way that he went about his business with real estate and then imagine him as president with some of the decisions he's forced to make, it's a mixture of the scariest thing in the world and the funniest thing in the world. Like Trump, when he's thinking like, oh man, different decisions he would make with real estate, with hotels in New York, that would just be from literally the base of his imagination and not really listen to what anybody had to say about what it was gonna cost or things like that. That's the guy that's now deciding when things are gonna get back to normal, when they're not. And you know, he retweeted some tweet about firing Dr. Fauci, which is yeah. hilarious. Like this, this is the guy we're dealing with. The guy right. who's like considering firing the doctor, who's like the doctor of reason right now, who's trying to make the doctor sure of reason, who also came out in January and said America had nothing to worry about about the coronavirus. So that's one thing I get I get annoyed about hearing how Fauci is the man and everything, and the fact that he was preaching a different tune two and a half months ago. And of course, Trump's going to be the bad guy, no matter what here. But Fauci has not been Mr. Right 24-7 by any means. And, you know, I think the whole, where you have to give Trump credit, though, is the whole, he gets advice from just not consultants. I thought that was interesting. He respects people in the field and will hit them up if he trusts them and like them. I always, even when, I know Dad brought this up back in the day, 
his top advisors died in that helicopter crash that were his execs in the early casino days who were like gifted behemoth business people. And even when Trump got in office, he was hitting up close confidants. Like, what do you recommend I do here? So he trusts people that have done big things in the world. That's one thing I get. It's not like he's always like, oh, I know it all. He definitely has his slew of people that he considers, you know, respectable members of society that have done great things. For sure. And don't get me wrong, I'm with you. Like Dr. Fauci, along with Gottlieb, any doctor that's on TV six days a week at this point is just rubbing me the wrong way. Because it's well, like, what, what are your real Yeah, like what are your real motives here? Are you really just trying to grow your self-image or do you care at all what's going on? I follow Dr. Fauci on Instagram and it is okay. such a it's such a fan base type thing where well, it's, it's like, like Dr. Fauci church, Dr. Fauci this, Dr. Fauci that. None of it is ever like informative posts about what's going on in the world. He's ready to, he's going to have a book from this thanks to Trump. Like the reality is that guy, this is the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. Well, I think he was also involved in like all the other pandemics that have happened with, you know, with uh, Ebola. And but you never heard about the guy until Trump was around. When you think about it, there's never been an, an, even an ability for a Dr. Fauci to be a celebrity until Donald Trump was the president. Like Obama yeah. never would have happened. Like during the swine flu, no, who's Fauci? Yeah, I mean, Trump is a showman. And he, uh, that was, again, one of the things that, what I liked most about the book is the things that Trump gets criticized for, he doesn't shy away from. He'll be the first to admit those things. Like when he talked about from an early age with the fact that his mom was, you know, had like Scottish roots and European roots and was basically like an imaginative, glamorous woman and would literally sit in front of the TV for hours just watching like the Queen of England and just admiring the glamour. And that's kind of more so where Trump got his personality from, I think, than his dad, even though his dad was the guy who got him into real estate. Like when you really, early on in that book, he kind of breaks down the differences between his mom and his dad. And his mom is someone who lives in the clouds. And so does Trump, even though he, you know, has the tenacity and has the energy to like kind of make certain things happen. There's no doubt Trump mentally is kind of living in like this an imagined world that isn't necessarily the reality. Yeah, there's no yeah. doubt that combination is so important when you think of building anything. You need to have a grandiose imagination and the ability to think of something that most people will think is delusional with the conviction on top of it. Where it's like, okay, I envision things. That, I think there were all, what, what I loved about this book, now that we're even diving into this, is the fact that this wasn't like a how-to book, like almost the Damon Johns, the crushing it. You had all these like scenarios off other people. What I thought was cool about this, it just dives into a day. And of course, this was crafted to make Trump look like a guru. But I, I, I thought it was clever how it started off road mapping out like a day, like a full week of calls, where it's just him going into work, 9.15 a.m. I'm on with a, a real estate mogul. Then I'm helping figure out the new NFL league or the one-off league from that. Then there's a new a rink that I'm helping get built in New York. I just, what I really appreciated about that was how much I think a lot of behemoths in business will play this bullshit card to the masses when they're publishing a book about 
how everything was so meticulously planned and all these things went into something before something big happened. Trump was real about a lot of it's open where he thinks a lot of business is improv and being able to be fluid. So when he was like, oh, I didn't bring a briefcase in and had, had a lot of an open door policy with a lot of his consistency with building, I thought was really dope, that whole mentality where it's like, okay, I have a lot of big things going on, but I can't be too structured with it or it's going to take away from the actual big picture of what I bring to the table. So that's where you're dead on, Dan. The details, I feel like he took from his dad. He has that business grounded sense in that way, but his mom brought in the visionary, grandiose. Yeah, think, think big. Think yeah. big. And, you know, guys, we've seen that in every single person we've dove into that have done anything in this world that we've talked about on this podcast. It's the mentality of thinking beyond the rational, where it's like your thoughts and your plans might be something that makes someone else sick to their stomach. But it's like, hey, who cares? Like that, And that's something Trump has always been phenomenal at, even getting loans, using things as leverage, telling the holiday in like something was done before it was even close to done so he wouldn't be outbid for a property. There were so many occasions where acting with conviction and knowing everyone's human, dealing with the same doubts all the time, Trump uses that to his advantage because he knows he actually gets that. He's like, oh, I'm dealing with a human being here. This isn't a robot. And I think there's a lot to be said for that, where we all have been victims of that, where we almost give everyone else too much credit, naturally, for no reason. Yeah, and he even said, he was like, you know, I, I don't really necessarily pay attention to the critics because anyone that is critiquing me, if anyone was actually doing anything themselves, they don't have time to critique me because they're just focusing on what they're doing. So the people that are critiquing me are just people that are hoping I fail because they don't necessarily have anything else to work on. And he's just dead on. I mean, what people don't, I mean, I'm sure people deep down can acknowledge this because the guy is now the president of the United States, but Trump definitely has the balls to pick up the phone and make that phone call that 99.999% of people dread and won't actually make. And when you read his book, there's countless times where he's taking these certain steps and putting themselves in position to do what most people just wouldn't do because it's kind of hard. Even early on when he like wants to join that high-end club in New York where he's going to meet yeah. all these elite people and he kind of goes over how it all came to fruition and how he calls the club, he calls the club, and they're like, listen, like we don't even know who you are. And then finally he gets the contact info from the person in charge of the club and calls them and just Donald Trump's it. And Donald Trumping is basically talking until someone doesn't even know what the fuck you're talking about. But they're like, this guy has a certain level of conviction. We're like, all right, let's do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And that's to me where I was a little bit impressed. And again, because it was funny because it was like a, a perfect combination when I was reading this of like, oh, man, this guy is obviously the egomaniac asshole that we all know he is and that the world thinks he is. But at the same time, there's this other side of him that this book made me appreciate where it's like Trump is a beast and the dude worked his ass off throughout his life, whether or not he got a lot of money from his dad and grew up in a family of money. Yeah, I get that. And he claims he got $200,000. Maybe it was 200 million. It doesn't matter. The fact is he had the energy and the brain and the balls to kind of take that and give himself a platform to eventually become one of the most famous figures in the world, which clearly was really important to him. 
And that's where it's like money doesn't put you in that position. You need to have the the energy, the balls, the mindset, yeah, the mindset of really not caring what other people think. And that's where, you know, to anyone who doesn't really necessarily know the background at all, Trump's dad was more of like a, a slums real estate Slum guy. Word, like, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Lower exactly. class, middle class. And he did great. He did great for himself by he no did. means. But it was not Trump knew at that point even, I want to do something much bigger. So yeah. sure, he got money from his dad as a head start, but how many people out there have been in that situation you've never heard of? Most. And also like he got the money, but also like he surrounded himself in the business from the time he was a little kid to the point where he learned it. And it's like, you could say whatever you want about how Trump's gone bankrupt X amount of times. And I don't know the numbers. I don't know any of that stuff. But what I do know is to open up a hotel or to make the calls that make it possible to build multi tens of millions of dollar projects and go through the hoops and deal with all the different people you have to deal with. It takes a certain person that most people are not capable of doing that. And that's where I think people don't necessarily always give credit where it's due. And obviously with the president of the United States who is going to get ridiculed more than anybody, I totally understand it. But reading that book totally made me have a level of respect and appreciation for the work he put in, even though he was given the platform. And that I, I can't even emphasize it enough. Like it's not easy to pick up a call, uh, to pick up a phone and dial a stranger and ask for something. And then it's even harder to spend your whole life having one challenging phone call after the next and just pushing, pushing, pushing. That's not like an easy trade. And like, you can call the guy a crook. You can call him a lot, call him whatever you want. But just having that energy is something that most people do not have in them. And that, that was my biggest takeaway from the book. Even, even in the Dark Towers book that we read, he literally he would call the bank a third time after two completely failed loans and just ask them for millions of dollars and they would eventually do it. Like that just says something. It, it's unbelievable. It's, but to have, like you're saying, to have the balls to pick up a phone third time when you already owe these people millions and ask them for more is just unbelievable. He just doesn't sure. care. He's shameless. And it's also so, when you talk about the, the power of conviction, when you believe in yourself that much, it's way easier to get anyone else on board. Because it's not like they're on the receiving end, even with the train of thought you have around the energy of what you're building. So you have leverage going into that conversation if you play that dance right. And I thought it was cool how the the notion of like even in the beginning where he's like, oh, I make at least 50 calls a day, sometimes 100. Just the act. And I, Corey, I was talking about, and you could attest through your day to day. I was talking to Dan about this earlier, though. That's how we have to keep thinking about here of building a book of business hammering that on another level. That's the reality. When you think about the phone calls, what that leads to, it's book of business, a Rolodex of contacts. I've seen it with even this campaign I've been helping the volunteering. I'm having calls with people that are great connections for us, just out of helping these guys 30, 40 calls later, starting to connect some dots here and seeing, oh, maybe we have a window in New York with Lodell. So it just shows, uh, and even in times like this, people just want to talk and engage. Like here, just giving someone the platform and the arena to be heard. This restaurant owner earlier was just giving me so much valuable insight about all of our competition 
because I was just giving her the floor for 20 minutes. And then she's like, oh, I have to work with you guys because I now know who you are. What can we do to help? So I think a lot to be said goes into that notion of just, for all of us too, building out more of that mentality where it's like, oh, cool. Could we have some chats with strangers? Maybe it doesn't necessarily always have to be a food delivery client, right? It's the notion of just picking up a call, a phone, giving somebody a call, getting them on the horn. And what that leads to, it's pretty remarkable. Like tomorrow I'm talking to the founder of Sweatcoin for us because he connected me. So who knows where that conversation will go, but it's interesting because it makes you think of other ideas too for what you're doing with your business that you can reverse engineer in off of someone in a completely different situation. Yeah, I mean, networking is like one of the most important things in the world because it opens up all kinds of doors. I mean, one of the one of the other takes away from takeaways from the book with Trump is if you realize anytime he was getting on a call, there was always like a very, very specific angle and agenda he was trying to take. There was something he was after. There was something he was asking for. And it was usually something that was 10 times bigger of what seemed realistic that he was asking for. So like, Corey, you go back to the loan thing. It would almost be like if we wanted to extend our line of credit and get another quarter mil, if, if Trump was in our shoes, he'd probably be asking for 25 mil. When really all he's looking for is $250,000. And that was one of the things like Trump would get on the calls and there'd be a very, very set task. And he would hammer away at it time after time until they were just like, yeah, okay. And it was also interesting that the guy didn't drink at all because he would kind of go over, you know, how networking is a big thing of going. Well, his brother died of alcoholism. That that was really what that was about. So he definitely, you know, that I think was front and center in his mind that his older brother went down that path and he was like, oh man. So, you know, ever since he's been very wary. Even earlier, like when you're saying when he was joining that exclusive club in New York and he was what, 21, 22 years old and he wouldn't drink. And obviously at that age, trying to join a club, maybe he was a little bit older, but not drinking is pretty impressive to just socialize and he's ahead of the game, just getting what he wants and, you know, taking advantage of that. Yeah. He's very uniquely hardwired in that he gets off on literal, literal, just winning relationships and conversations. And you could tell he gets such a high from just getting his way on another level than people. And you see like the subtle things that, and again, people are going to lash out at me for like even saying this, but like Donald Trump definitely has a lot of charm to him. And I know when you put him in the public media and you have him talking about very generic things, it's really tough to see it, but you can kind of see like when he would go off of one-off conversations that like he had with his first wife, like an example was when he would kind of, tease his first wife about not being the number one hotel that she was managing in Vegas, where like you could tell though it was like in that teasing playful way that he'll sometimes have that demeanor with the media. Like it's very interesting because Trump, there's definitely a level of charm to Trump where you can catch him in a certain light and the guy is charming, entertaining. Like if he wants to be, he's gonna, he's gonna lay that on you in a huge way. One-on-one talk to them. He's very charming. He wouldn't be the president otherwise. I don't think people realize like almost how much of 
a charm he was looked at by so much of the population before he became this political guy. Like when Donald Trump was just Donald Trump. I mean, Mike, when we were younger, we were in Atlantic City and we saw Donald Trump in a restaurant. And I remember like dad kind of got, I don't want to like say giddy, but he was like, guys, guys, that's Donald Trump right over there. Like, you should go say hi to him. And I went up to him and, you know, said hi to him. And it was like he had this aurora, a sense to him where it's like, that's a man of power. Where we're yeah. like at this restaurant, he came in and you could tell, like, again, Bob, he was like, that's Donald Trump right there. Like, that's like it's a the power of branding. He's always been the personal branding with Trump. It's always been front and center for him, like with just everything involving, even like when he was building Trump Tower on 57th and 5th, talking about the museum tower being a couple of blocks away and just not being known as a thing and how he was so meticulous with wanting the, the whole glass tower all the way up, wanting everyone to see. And yeah, he said he got that from his mom, the showmanship, but his power with PR and that whole mentality goes hand in hand because he's a megalomaniac, but you need to be in a, in some facets to be able to build a behemoth in New York City like that. So the way he did that, you have to have that in you. So, oh, we have Dan meeting live here. Thanks to Danny. Look at this. Yeah. What do we have, Dan? Uh, some salmon, corn, a lot of vegetables. Let me see if I can give you guys. You guys have these girls cooking for you. I'm here eating takeout dumplings. Got, I mean, what the hell? <laughs> hey, Mike, that doesn't sound bad. Dan, that looks awesome. Oh, man, yeah. It's, uh, wow. I've been eating a lot of good cooked food, which has been the highlight, to be honest. Yeah, I'm not a big oh. corn guy. I always get stuck. I, I've never liked corn, Corey. Never uh, been yeah. I like when it's like served as a side. Yeah, I don't know. I've always been a fan of corn muffins, corn bread, but yeah, me too. Corn, eh. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, besides that, guys, the art of the deal, I think we could take a lot from this off the fact that Trump just acted with conviction. There was the power of persistence. He believed in himself. He kept that thing until it was the resilience the positive energy, and, you know, even the, the notion of, like, expecting the worst hope for the best thing with the hell our father's big on Bobby and Bob. I just, that was one thing I thought was bullshit. I don't think Trump is a guy that doesn't, he's like, oh, yeah, limit the downside. He just doesn't gamble with his own money, which is the reality, yeah. which is great. But that's, but that's his way of limiting the downside. No, no, I understand that. That was just one thing where it's like, that. that in theory is phenomenal. That, that was just one part of the book, though, where it's like, I get using other people's money as leverage when you reach a certain point with finance, but that's just not a realistic notion for anyone that's starting something from scratch. Unless yeah, you're yeah. able to just get, you know, family and friend funding or investment for a piece of your company. But the way he did that on another level was remarkable. But I think it just goes to show for us, even as we're trying to navigate in the space we're in, being in such a competitive cutthroat business, everyone we see, guys, in any success, it's the power of pivoting. Everyone evolves and adapts to the times and scenarios and just switching up what they're even doing. So, like, Corey, I was telling Dan earlier, even talking to these restaurants, hearing this one woman tell me earlier how Relay is contracted out with Grubhub specifically just for staffing help. And it makes you wonder, it's like, okay, cool. So, we're here competing with DoorDash, Uber, and Grubhub 
like mono a mono in all of our markets? Can we be maybe competing with other companies in the space in different ways by pivoting, not stopping doing what we're doing by any means, but also looking at ourselves differently as an aggregate, where it's not just, oh, we're a third-party delivery service aggregate. Can we be an aggregate for staffing, for distribution maybe, in certain niches for big behemoths, like an Amazon, a Monster, a Red Bull, a spice company? Like, I think there's other ways for, and I know we're very biased and neck deep in what we're doing, but when we think of how can we build on what we have, I think we have to be thinking along those terms, like all of these successful entrepreneurs have over the years in every single situation they have. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's the underlying theme I think we're seeing from every single situation, whether it's the art of the deal or Damon John's book or crushing it or whoever, Richard Branson, none of these people have done the same thing forever or we never would have hear, heard about them. That's true. Yeah. Another big takeaway and just from every book you read is just seems to be patience, just waiting for the right time, not rushing into things. I remember uh, when Trump was talking about uh, the two Hilton buildings in Vegas when he was like, he saw the stock market dropped one day and Hilton stock took a beating. And he was like, they only have two properties in Vegas. Why did they take such a hit? And then he found out that 40% of Hilton's revenues came for, at the time, this was in the eighties, came from those two hotels, those two hotel casinos. So he was like, should I open up a hotel in Vegas? And he ended up waiting. And that's when the Atlantic city opportunity came about. And obviously we all know about that. And then but again, with the AC opportunity, he failed, but he ended up making mil millions of dollars. He paid himself with benefits and he got a huge salary and other people lost a ton of money. It's like, you know, it's just crazy. Still made out like a bandit. Yeah. I, I mean, I think timing, patience is definitely a virtue when you have the money to be patient. I, I think that yeah. goes hand in hand too, where it's like, I almost also think on the other end of that though, there's something to be said where when your back's up against the wall and you have to create in a different facet that the opposite comes into play where it's like you almost have to be able to just pick your spots with being patient, but also being down to be impulsive with conviction and intuition where it's like, okay, shit, we need to make a move here. We need to act on it now because sometimes there's never a perfect time for something. So yeah. I think there's no doubt you're dead on, Corey. It's circumstantial, depending on, like, with Trump's situation with those properties, that was a genius tactic, waiting for the dust to settle. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the, you know, we're obviously reading books that with people just have a ton of cash and time and opportunity. So they're, they're you know, more, they're just able to be patient where, you know, yeah. we're in a completely different scenario. Well, even, and we haven't, I think we should do this book next week, Elon Musk's book, if you guys are down, but- he brings up, and I want to highlight this here just for the scenario we're in, that I oh, this is the best analogy I've ever heard that I know I've told you guys numerous times to use us. We've been engine builders with food delivery markets. You have to create an engine and keep it running. What Elon Musk has always looked at is how do I be the power outlet for a company to be a plug where they need my outlet to operate? So I think that's something we said. We've been constantly a plug up until this point. But we also have the ability to be an outlet based on what we have in our arsenal with our overall infrastructure when you think about it. Sure, we might have to adapt some things with that to make sense of that, but I think there's a lot to be said 
we've been engine builders for so long. I was taking, talking to Jake Udell about this with his whole pivot into the community building with texting, competing against SMS. He's like, Mike, every one of my artists that I managed was an engine. At some point, that engine dies. Any way you spin it. He's like, yeah, you can get royalties, sure, all that. But he's like, when push comes to shove, why am I spending all my energy on building out individual assets when the, collectively they all need something that I can provide? So I think there's a lot we, There's a lot of ways to look at that. But for us, that's the analogy I love going back to. How do we, be an, how do we become an outlet for plugs being different companies and not just being a plug that we have to find an outlet that works? Because that, that to me is way more sustainable of a runway for entrepreneurship and funneling new revenue streams when you think about it with being cost efficient. Because that way you're piggybacking off of existing transactions. If we can figure that out, it's okay, there's a business. Like Corey, a guy I'm talking to for us tomorrow sold his company at 23 years old. I believe he works high up at uh, Range Rover. Paul connected me. They need something. I texted this to Dan earlier. We'll see where this goes. They're having issues with his new company with logistics. I don't know to what extent yet, but there's a lot of scenarios here. We're just seeing where people have band-aids that aren't even band-aids. They're being ripped off. We just have to look at the grid differently while simultaneously growing food delivery. It's just the name of the game that has yeah. to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, the biggest thing to keep in mind is we don't have like a, we're not like a logistics company. We're an on-demand food delivery platform. And the only thing our technology could apply to is on-demand related things. So when you think about like companies that are trying to plug in logistics for delivery, that's just not what our tech was designed. On-demand related things, Dan, is exactly what I'm talking about. Red Bull has deliveries in a place in New York City. They're using a third-party service. Yeah, but those are scheduled deliveries for them to deliver to their wholesalers so they're not they're getting plugged into a system more like a like they were originally designed for traveling salesmen when salesmen would go door to door and they would let's say have a list of 50 clients they're originally designed that's the key word there exactly no, and then but, came. No, no, no but what i mean is that, like no it was originally called a traveling salesman those things are still like you take an american furniture warehouse or like a, a furniture store for example it's not on-demand delivery it's deliveries that are going on throughout a week as sales are coming in, they're plugging into a database and then it's mapping out the deliveries based on what makes the most sense, which is just not at all what our technology is designed to do. So that's where like when we, when we look at different angles that we can take with our technology, we do have to keep front and center that our technology is on demand delivery. Anything outside of that, we our technology is just not built for so like if we were talking about plugging in 200 advanced orders into our technology to be delivered, like what Red Bull's doing, our technology wouldn't work for that. Well, our current technology, we have to figure out if it makes sense yeah. to adapt off of the times where we see a trend that we could take advantage of. Because this is now a different era and we have to think like that. Or we that's just the reality of the situation. We go extinct if we're not able to shift gears like that. On well, I almost think like when you look at the different things that apply to on-demand delivery, there's a lot, I don't want to say a lot more, but there's different industries outside of just the restaurant industry. When you're talking yeah. about business to business delivery, it's not like a new thing with logistics. There's all dispatch logistics platforms that are meant for not on-demand delivery. 
that's where it's like, would it make sense for us to build a platform that competes with something that has honestly been around for longer than the platform we currently have? Or would it make more sense to kind of figure out what the next, not even the next, but like another on-demand delivery platform, whether it's on-demand flower delivery with the same turnaround time that we have, where it's, you know, not like 1-800-Flowers, but you can get the flowers within 45 minutes of ordering it, or CBD or THC, something that people are going to Well, like Relay, I think it's about anything. Being able to have the ability to turnkey anyone on demand for, for th any type of actual inventory. Because when you think about it, that, that could be said for anyone. Oh, yeah, I want flowers right now down the street. Even this restaurant earlier, she was like, the biggest problem with all these third-party deliveries, it's like, great, I'm, and I'm using Grubhub as an aggregate with all these other restaurants. Someone's ordering from me four miles away just because they want to be able to provide a lot of content for a consumer, and then they're getting a shit experience, and I'm getting blamed for it. So, I, you know, that, that was something she used. She's like, that just doesn't work, Mike. She's like, if we can figure out how to localize that, where I love delivery, if people could actually enjoy my food like it's down the street. She's like, I can't be delivering on another service three, four miles from here. That doesn't help me. Real quick, we got a, a comment of someone asking where Corey's from. I know he looks like some exotic like Dominican creature, but I'm pretty sure he's just from Jersey. Corey, take, take the floor off this one. Emma uh, yeah. wants to know where you're from. Sorry I said your last name wrong. <laughs> What's up, man? I'm just uh, from Central Jersey. I'm like 45 minutes from New York City. I grew up in about 30 minutes from the shore. And he yeah. Cast on the Jersey Shore, but uh, Mike, the situation <laughs> took place. Yeah, it was unfortunate. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, hey, Corey has that exotic look. Well, look, for anyone listening to this, if you guys have anything specific that you've always wanted delivered in real time, like aside from food, we'd love to hear what it was, what it is. And movie theater popcorn. You're talking to a guy that goes to the movie theater just to get popcorn to go home. So not saying that that in itself would make sense, but there must be a lot of stuff out there we're not even thinking of. I mean, people I always said conversation, but clothing is something I would definitely order on demand rather than and paying. I'd rather pay an extra 10 or $15 to get clothes right now, same day, than literally pay seven or $8 shipping and get it in three to seven days. All right. So but, Corey, let's talk out the clothing thing for a second here. You're, I'm a guy that's like, oh, give me a visual here. You want right now an outfit to go on a hot date tonight. All right. And you're, all right. So say Lodell has the ability to geolocate are you thinking of this along the lines of it being a retail store where we're highlighting like an aggregate for all the close department stores and connecting with a runner that's able to get your exact size? How yeah. would you envision that actually working? I mean, we the, the main thing would have to be in like an inventory tracking system where I'm assuming uh, similar to what Instacart does with groceries. So they know exactly what's on the shelf. But yeah, the store would get it. They would put the order together. Or we would just be the middleman with our driver picking it up and delivering it to the customer. I picture myself like there, there's multiple scenarios. Maybe someone's really busy at work, um, you know, doesn't have enough time to go shopping, order something really quick. They need a new outfit for that night. Maybe it's a, a CEO who needs a suit. Maybe it's a guy on a work trip who forgot something, he forgot his socks or his shirt and gets to his hotel, realizes, and then he gets what he needs in an hour or, you know, or less. And all, 
what I love about clothes is it's not perishable. So it doesn't matter how long the delivery takes. You could say, you know, it'll be on, it'll be to you within two hours or it could be 30 minutes. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's not like food. Let me so, ask you that. When you, when, when you look at like the trajectory that Amazon's on, do we not think that that's just like exactly where they're heading? Not necessarily with type two with local retail places, but you know, like I order a pair of Nikes and I get those Nikes in 45 minutes. I'm fully expecting Amazon to have everything that I want available for within an hour delivery within the next couple of years. Cause that's just, they're, it's very obvious that that's what they're trying to do. And you know, if they can't do it, like we're not gonna be able to do it. So I just wonder, do you guys agree that that's what they're well, doing? Yeah, my, my rebuttal to that, look at Chewy with pets. They, they they figure out a way to win a niche that Amazon is crushing, quote unquote, but they went all in on pets, pet supplies. So yeah. when you think about it, they figure out, and even when we saw over the years focusing on one thing, where I remember Corey brought this up, and he could attest to this after I finish up here, but I remember him highlighting when we talked about this a couple of years ago, a great point. He's like, Mike, I'm a fashion guy. I love clothes. I'm not going to buy something on Amazon. Which I thought yeah. was really interesting, the notion of like getting a nice outfit to take Sarah out on, or the psychology behind, I'm not buying that on Amazon. And I get that. I actually see that completely. And that was five years ago. I still feel that exact way. And I mean, at the time, we thought about doing this at one point. I think we stopped because Uber Rush was like kind of gaining steam. And then they obviously went out. But now I think it's needed more than ever. And yeah, I would never shop for clothes on Amazon. That's just not where I get clothes. It's just different. So Corey, how would you envision this starting? We would work a partnership out almost like when you were with the Sky Culture thing, getting that figured out where you provide a place like, what's that place called? Cliff? The Cliff? Or what's that really high-end place I like, Corey, that in the Soho area that you told me about? Cliff? Uh, oh, Kiff. Kith. Yeah, Kith. Yeah, Kith. Oh, yeah, Kith. Would you think of it as, okay, we're going to work out an exclusive partnership with a high-end place at first to piggyback off of their existing customer base? How would you envision that? Yeah, I mean, that would be a smarter move. Like, I, I saw Postmates announce a couple of weeks ago that they, they partnered with Gap and Banana Republic and Old Navy. They're all owned by the same company. But like, that's just, that's a brand that's going out of business and trying to boost sales. Yeah. yeah, doing doing it with like an innovative company like Kith would be interesting. And those people have anyone shopping at Kith has deep pockets, or they're saving their money for you know fashion items. Like they're literally saving all their money just to buy thousands of dollars worth of clothes. And if they can get that in the same day without with skipping the lines on certain items, I think they would pay a fortune to get it delivered. I think this is a high. I like this idea as a very high niche. It's literally only those types of places where you already have people that are spending at least a few hundred bucks walking in buying something where it's an easy ticket item to justify spending a premium of maybe even 50 to 100 bucks to save three or four hours of their time getting it all delivered day of figuring that out. I, I don't think that that is a niche that is outside of high end. Like I can't imagine the way Postmates is that to me doesn't make sense for this actually work. Yeah, and that, I think that was the wrong partnership, but I mean, I get it from Gap and, and the Old Navy's oh, perspective. Yeah, Starting for Postmates. Track, I think the only way that would work is an exclusive high-end app. Like the way Uber started with Uber Black, where it's literally like a 
oh shit, this isn't cheap, but this is dope. Yeah. Like it's almost in itself a marketing ploy, but that that to me is the type of consumer that would make sense for this when you think about yeah. it. And, and New York, company? yeah, rent the runway. That's more. That's just renting clothes. So, and, and that's another reason I, you know, I, I think it's kind of going. Fashion is just moving in a different direction. People are renting expensive clothes online. They wear it and they send it back. But to me, it's like, why would you waste money to just like, yeah, you get, you might have a great outfit one night or one month. I don't know how long it lasts, but then you have to send it back. And it's like that. It's just like paying rent. It's just, you know, I don't get yeah, it. It's renting. And it's crazy how much they've crushed that. Cause I, I am with you on, I've never, the whole renting clothes thing. I I'm, you know, I'm also not a chick, so I don't know what's in that world at all. That's not my area by any means, but uh, it, it's interesting. I definitely think there is, it's a cool concept of being able to get a dope outfit on demand where you're not going, you don't have the time to, I think there is a need for that for sure. It's just the, the notion of starting a brand from scratch. It has to be the right partnership with a couple yeah. of behemoth, like dope, you know, clothes, clothes brands. Yeah, you have to piggyback off some big guys. I just think about it every time someone checks out for an online purchase, which is happening more than ever uh, right now. It's like, all right, well, you can wait X amount of days and get it, or you can pay ten to fifteen dollars to get it right now, or whatever the price is. But when you're already spending them at like, you know, an average ticket for a clothing site, depending where you're going, is probably upwards of seventy, eighty bucks. Maybe that's low. I don't even know. But you're already spending a, a good amount of money. What's another ten to fifteen dollars to get that instantly? You obviously See, I was more like fifty to sixty dollars. I was thinking. What's I guess it depends, like you know, what it is. Um, I think the only way this would work is if you have an extremely high delivery fee, where it's literally like, oh yeah, yeah we're the minimum of five hundred dollars, where it's literally a ten percent delivery fee. Yeah, it, I mean, if, if you're dealing with time value, Corey, with someone on that level that's already spending money on clothes like that, you would think their time is worth more than that cost of that being delivered. Yeah. So that that's interesting. I think that's interesting on a high end scale in new york without a doubt that's something yeah. to you know explore and there's so many things i mean obviously there's a ton of pharmaceutical companies but medicine in demand more than ever people can't go out i, mean, I go yeah. back to though guys the ongoing thing that i've always been big on as you know is the actual fleet of people that are able-bodied to help be pulled in to help you get stuff out where the distribution itself i think that's the ongoing battle everyone has is fuck, I need someone to do this for me to get this from point A to point B. So that that's always what I go back to here more than anything is figuring that end of it out. How do we be a, the best of the best at that for companies in a New York City? Where it's like, okay, cool. We're going to do on-demand high-end retail. How are we, how do we have the confidence to know we will be the best at having the a reliable staffing for that in the first place. Yeah, I mean that's it's something to think about. Obviously, as these clothes are very expensive, you got to make sure that because you're also asking. The thing is that the pay would be so, the pay would be great. So it's like, you know, I mean, Corey, you you're this as an hourly employee, like how would you like say we get people on board with the whole? Okay, this is a ten percent delivery fee. We're cutting. We're giving just spitballing here we're giving the courier half of that delivery fee. 
for every drop, or we're talking about minimum orders of $500. We have to think about this because they're putting in legwork, going and picking shit out. Or would we have the stores already have stuff? Yeah, no, the stores would have to take care of everything, have the order ready, just so like we would them a kickback to make sure it's worth yeah. their while. So we'd have to think if you have a 10% premium on a delivery fee, that's a $500 minimum, we're giving the store some sort of kickback on that. And then the driver is obviously having to get taken care of. So that, that, yeah. I almost think you need to buy the clothes from the wholesaler and eliminate the store. Well, I, I think like that's where, I love that. And I was going to say that too, but I think that's where you can like start small where like, we're just selling like socks and like basics, like on the side. And anytime someone orders socks and, and or like a basic white tea pack or something like that, that's ours. And we're making money off that while also doing that. Kind of like the drinks with food delivery early on. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly Real time on the sock delivery, where you can get like, <laughs> like dope socks. I, I think it, there's something we said though, like we've seen in food delivery for so long, With even with this, it's starting with winning in one funnel to build off of, right? Where you specialize in being that. And then it's way easier to build up a legit identity where you're not spread thin. Like a lot of these companies, Postmates, I still don't get that. Like them now going back to that, it makes me think they're in trouble, honestly. Yeah, I mean. It's kind of interesting when you look at Postmates because they kind of started as a company that was trying to deliver anything and yep. clearly that didn't work for them. And that's why yeah. they did food, which ended up. That's where like, are we sitting here basically saying that like we think there's an opportunity to do what Postmates steered away from when they realized food was the ultimate opportunity? Well, Dan, you just said it. They were too broad. Like they, you could type in Holy Mill if you remember. I heard a Nintendo. Remember that? We, you yeah, just say. It. it was too generalized. I think that was well, part of the problem why that didn't work. It was almost like they were collecting all the data and then saw like, oh, 90% of our orders are food. Let's just go hard on food. Like that's our angle. Well, I think the reality was they were not, it made no sense for them to have a layout where, yeah, you're right. The data showed that, but it also showed that you can't do 50 different things at once. So we would never go into a notion of, oh, let's do electronic delivery and clothes. You know? Yeah, I think it was a mix that they were the first ones to do any restaurant you can get delivered. So they were just getting so many orders and they probably just saw an abundance of those orders and like, let's just dive headfirst into it. But at the same time, I think now more than ever, their initial model is needed. And obviously, you know, who knows how long this will last? Can we build a business based off what's happening now? It's tough to say, but I do, I mean, we know the on-demand economy is thriving and it should only continue to thrive. Yeah, I, there's no doubt that people are more impulsive by nature than ever, and they have no patience. And it's something to think about. And we have been in that on-demand mindset for so long that it's about what, how can we expand that Rolodex without being spread thin with focus, where it's like, okay, what can we win in what, what other funnel that we haven't been attacking it? So, you know, that's what's cool about all these uh, podcasts, the episodes, is being able to dive into successful entrepreneurs. It lights a fire under us where it's, okay, cool. These ongoing themes, these guys started something, did great, then they had to shift gears. Or they wouldn't be in these books. We'd never hear about a Donald Trump. It's also cool to read and just learn about all the different industries that are out there. Because we're so, I don't want to even say biased, but just like consumed around food delivery, online ordering logistics, that 
sometimes that's the what I, that's my favorite part of reading these books. I'm like reading Art of the Deal or Art of the Deal, and like all of a sudden I'm like, wow, the world of real estate, fascinating. And it's just exactly. like you know, we don't we never have the time to think about that. We're waking up and it's just boom, online food delivery business. All these things are happening. That that's what I've enjoyed most about these books is just realizing all the different industries that people have made livings in and like not i don't want to say learning about them because it's very broad you're not really learning the details but it's really really cool just hearing how other people make their fortunes doing things that are just entirely different than what we're doing yeah but it's all it's also cool seeing how every single one of them in one way or another had to take a leap of faith during a time where it was up. Oh, well, this had to happen now. We're doing this. You know, like that's just been the ongoing theme with all these people. Yeah, yeah. you guys actually see that uh, Bob Igar kind of like resumed. Yeah, like, of course. <laughs> yeah, he should. I mean, they're in deep shit. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he took over it tells me that they really are in deep shit. They are, man, without a doubt. That guy wants to deal with. I mean, that, they don't want to be hearing about keep 13 feet away from people. Are you kidding me? That's the last thing Disney wants. You'll see their video stream now go to a whole new level. That was quick. What was that? Two months? If that? Yeah. You know, you guys could wow. technically say that my prediction on Tiger Woods winning the Masters again came true yesterday. They had <laughs> the Masters, CBS. Sure, it was a repeat of last year, but like that's what was on TV. <laughs> I just so, love that my Korean sauce thing Corey highlighted was spot on that he's already purchased with the condiment. Yeah, yeah it was, it's interesting. It's, uh, I mean, it's definitely blowing up. I don't, I'm not a fan. Like I can't use it. Like I use Sriracha. I don't no. really get it, but it's pretty, I mean, it's okay. It's catchy. But it is everywhere now, which is weird. Yeah. Hey man, maybe we're onto something with being ahead of the condiment game. We should come up with a phone uh, knock on that. Did you guys see uh, Carl Anthony Towns' mom died of the coronavirus? Did she really? Yeah. Oh, I, like, that's terrible. But in, on the other end of that, I'm like, it's crazy to me how often we're hearing about celebrities' parents dying of this when there's people no one knows that aren't a celebrity dying all over the place. And it's like, am I going to mourn Carl Anthony Towns' mom dying of coronavirus? No. no I'm not. I, no, no, I, I hear think what you're saying. Yeah, he just happened to be one of the first people to like raise awareness about it because I, I guess yeah, she got no, it early. It's obviously tragic, so, uh, you know. crazy that, that that there's been so much of that where oh, so and so's parents died of this. It's like, dude, like I get it. Like the celebrities that die, they bring that up because they're moguls. Except people pay attention to them. But when you're talking about the parents of somebody in that realm, I I don't know. It, it's getting a bit overworked to me. Oh yeah. And I'm seeing it firsthand because Danny's a news reporter. All of these uh, media companies are definitely like, you know, they're struggling to find stories because the world is shut down. What Trump brought up, man, he was big on bringing up the media always wants a great story, so I do things differently. So that's exactly. something we took from that, too. Yeah. So, like, right now, the media is grasping on to anything they can because it's tough to find stories. I know. It's getting overbeaten a bit with the celebrity parents thing. That's when you know this thing's going on a bit too long, where they keep bringing up, like, B and C-list level celebrities' parents that are passing away from this. 
where it's like, we get it, this is bad news, but we've got, you're beating a dead horse here with the scare tactics. Everyone's yeah. isolated and, you know, shut down. It, it's, yeah. I got it at first, like where people were needing to be scared out of their wits. Now I'm getting annoyed. Yeah, honestly. well, here's a, here's a cool little thing is apparently last week, Google reported that their good news search results have like been higher than they've ever been the last week where like people are straight up typing in good news on Google. And Bob Rowland over there. Corey, Dan, I was telling Dan earlier, this is, you know, how Bob, he's a half or a glass doesn't exist kind of guy, but he literally hit me up earlier being like, Hey Mike, snow in Colorado. It's raining where you are. What else is going on? <laughs> Thanks for the weather report, Bob. It's raining where I, where I am. Like he had to highlight weather that wasn't impacting him physically just to make sure I knew it was raining outside where it's like, all right, Matt, Bob, it's time for you to put on a smile and shift gears, pal. Uh, I, I love that. I could see Bob doing that just to push your buttons. <laughs> uh, I think I'm pushing his buttons this morning because I'm like, Bob, I haven't been outside. But what's going on? You going into weather reporting? Like, I wanted to be a meteorologist growing up because I never wanted to go to school. So I always think snow days were coming. I actually did predict the uh, 96 blizzard because out of wishful. Dude, I'll never forget that in class, the day before that got bad, I'm like, we're going to be off of school the next week. Watch it. Blizzard's coming. And sure enough, it hit. And I was so pumped. And, you know, after high school, I stopped giving a shit about the weather. So obsessed with that. Like if it would start to flurry out all night, Mike would be like updating the school website, seeing if they announced anything. Early in the morning, they had this phone number the school closure. So I'd call at like four in the morning and it wouldn't be updated yet. It would still be the day before. I'd be like, what's going on here? And I'd I'd get (laughs) my mom, be like, mom, because she had the scoop because she ran the Jewish preschool and Warren, for some reason she had the in with knowing earlier than anybody from the superintendents when the schools were closing. So I would run into her room, mom, mom, what's going on? She's like, Mike, 30 more minutes, 30 more minutes. And you know, that was just my own <laughs> of hating being in a structured environment, trying to avoid it. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> snow days. There is nothing better than a snow day. I mean, now it feels like we've had a snow day for the last two months, but that was a, great movie. a snow day while you're in school. Yeah, actually, my uh, my next door neighbor, not my next door neighbor, but a guy, a kid down the street was in Snow Day from an Alton. No way. Uh, yeah, his name is Jade Yorker. Wow. I feel like a lot of people make the big screen appearance out of your town. I do. You know, what? it's weird for like a small town. It, there are like, and there's the situation, uh, and this kid. But yeah, it, it does happen pretty frequently for a small town. It's odd. Well, guys, I think uh, this has been a good one here. It's around my stomach started growling, so I figured that was a cue to run and get some pickup or something. Sounds good. How was that meal, Dan? It was insane. Dan, you're breaking up a little here. My meal was insane. There we go. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was delicious. I'm, uh, did young man get any scraps? He actually did. That's why I was just flipping out. I looked down because I put my down and it was like cleared empty and there were like onions on the deck the tornado <laughs> got the man stressed he needed a little fuel young man yeah mr charleston well i appreciate everybody tuning in uh we really appreciate if you'd subscribe to our youtube and uh we're looking for more guests too if you want to come on give us your story bootstrapped in the trenches 
We will be back next Monday. Until then, have a great night. Enjoy your dinner. Get into a food coma with us. Take care. Bootstrapped in the trenches. Making moves going all out. Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get Lodell, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.